Imagine your new bathroom, a sparkling new tub, a modern shower conversion, a seamless new wall, all done in as little as a day. Introducing Bathfitter. Join over 2 million customers delighted with our one-of-a-kind remodeling process. No demolition, no mess. Guaranteed for life. Installed in as little as a day. Book a free in-home consultation at bathfitterpodcasts.com and get our best offer of the year right now. Bathfitter, 35 years of better bath remodels. show on civil rights. My name is Barbara Pullen and I'm one of the radio hosts for the New Heights show on education and the New Heights educational group. I hope you enjoy the show and I'm asking our listeners to consider becoming a sponsor. This show is pre-recorded. This show is based on the life of Frederick Douglass who wrote three autobiographies. I will continue with a second autobiography written by Frederick Douglass, which is My Bondage and My Freedom, which each week I will read to you certain portions of each chapter. The e-book can be downloaded from www.guttenberg.org backslash files backslash 202 backslash 202-h backslash 202-h htm chapter 9 personal treatment i have nothing cruel or shocking to relate of my own personal experience while i remained on colonel lloyd's plantation at the home of my old master an occasional cuff from aunt katie and a regular whipping from old master such as any heedless and mischievous boy might get from his father is all that I can mention of this sort. I was not old enough to work in the field, and, there being little else than field work to perform, I had much leisure. The most I had to do was to drive up the cows in the evening, to keep the front yard clean, and perform small errands for my young mistress, Lucretia Old. I have reasons for thinking this this lady was very kindly disposed towards me, and, although I was not often the object of her attention, I constantly regarded her as my friend, and was always glad when it was my privilege to do her a service. In a family where there was so much that was harsh, cold, and indifferent, the slightest word or look of kindness passed with me for its full value. Miss Lucretia, as we all continued to call her long after her marriage, had bestowed upon me such words and looks as taught me that she pitied me, if she did not love me. In addition to words and looks, she sometimes gave me a piece of bread and butter, a thing not set down in the bill of fare, 
and which must have been an extra ration planned aside from either aunt katie or old master solely out of the tender regard and friendship she had for me then too i one day got into the wars with uncle abel's son ike and had got sadly worsted in fact the little rascal had struck me directly in the forehead with a sharp piece of cinder fused with iron from the old blacksmith's forge which made a cross in my forehead very plainly to be seen now the gash bled very freely and i roared very loudly and betook myself home the cold-hearted aunt katie paid no attention either to my wound or my roaring except to tell me it served me right i had no business with ike it was good for me i would now keep away from them lloyd niggers miss lucretia in this state of the case came forward and in quite a different spirit from that manifested by aunt katie she called me into the parlour an extra privilege of itself and without using towards me any of the hard-hearted and reproachful epithets of my kitchen tormentor she quietly acted the good samaritan with her own soft hand she washed the blood from my head and face fetched her own balsam bottle and with a balsam wetted a nice piece of white linen and bound up my head the balsam was not more healing to the wound in my head than her kindness was healing to my wounds in my spirit made by the unfeeling words of aunt katie after this miss lucretia was my friend i felt her to be such and i have no doubt that the simple act of binding up my head did much to awaken in her mind an interest in my welfare it is quite true that this interest was never very marked and it seldom showed itself in anything more than in giving me a piece of bread when i was hungry but this was a great favour on a slave plantation and i was the only one of the children to whom such attention was paid when very hungry i would go into the back yard and play under miss lucretia's window when pretty severely pinched by hunger i had a habit of singing which the good lady very soon came to understand as a petition for a piece of bread when i sung under miss lucretia's window i was very apt to get well paid for my music the reader will see that i now had two friends both at important points mas daniel at the great house and miss lucretia at home from mas daniel i got protection from the bigger boys and from miss lucretia i got bread by singing when i was hungry and sympathy when i was abused by that termagant who had the reins of government in the kitchen for such friendship i felt deeply grateful and bitter as are my recollections of slavery i love to recall any instances of kindness any sunbeams of humane treatment which found way to my soul through the iron grating of my house of bondage such beams seem all the brighter from the general darkness into which they penetrate and the impression they make is vividly distinct and beautiful as i have before intimated i was seldom whipped and never severely by my old master i suffered little from the treatment i received except from hunger and cold these were my two great physical troubles i could neither get a sufficiency of food nor of clothing but i suffered less from hunger than from cold in hottest summer and coldest winter i was kept almost in a state of nudity no shoes no stockings no jacket 
no trousers, nothing but coarse sackcloth or tow linen, made into a sort of shirt reaching down to my knees. This I wore night and day, changing it once a week. In the daytime I could protect myself pretty well by keeping on the sunny side of the house and, in bad weather, in the corner of the kitchen chimney. The great difficulty was to keep warm during the night. I had no bed. The pigs in the pen had leaves, and the horses in the stable had straw, but the children had no beds. They lodged anywhere in the ample kitchen. I slept generally in a little closet without even a blanket to cover me. In the very cold weather, I sometimes got down the bag in which cornmeal was usually carried to the mill and crawled into that. Sleeping there with my head in and feet out, I was partly protected, though not comfortably. My feet have been so cracked with the frost that the pen with which I am writing might be laid in the gashes. The manner of taking our meals at Old Masters indicated but little refinement. Our cornmeal mush, when sufficiently cooled, was placed in a large wooden tray or trough like those used in making maple sugar here in the north. This tray was set down either on the floor of the kitchen or out of doors on the ground, and the children were called, like so many pigs, and like so many pigs they would come and literally devour the mush, some with oyster shells, some with pieces of shingles, and none with spoons. He that ate fastest got most, and he that was strongest got the best place, and few left the trough really satisfied. I was the most unlucky of any, for Aunt Katie had no good feeling for me, and if I pushed any of the other children or if they told her anything unfavorably of me, she always believed the worst and was sure to whip me. As I grew old and more thoughtful, I was more and more filled with a sense of my wretchedness, the cruelty of Aunt Katie, the hunger and cold I suffered, and the terrible reports of wrong and outrage which came to my ear. Together with what I almost daily witnessed, led me, when yet but eight or nine years old, to wish I had never been born. I used to contrast my condition with the blackbirds, in whose wild and sweet songs I fancied them so happy. Their apparent joy only deepened the shades of my sorrow. There are thoughtful days in the lives of children, at least they were in mine, when they grapple with all the great primary subjects of knowledge and reach in a moment. Conclusions which no subsequent experience can shake. I was just as well aware of the unjust, unnatural, and murderous character of slavery when nine years old, as I am now, without any appeal to books, to laws, or to authorities of any kind. It was enough to accept God as a father, to regard slavery as a crime. Right now, you might be struggling through your classes or even failing them. You might be worried that you may not finish high school. There might have even been a thought that you may not be smart enough. Well, the New Heights Educational Group begs to differ. We not only think you are smart enough, but with our help, you will complete your high school diploma. The New Heights Educational Group strives to improve your academic success through its tutoring services. To learn more, please visit newheightseducation.org and contact us. New Heights Educational Group educational resources to help reach your goals hello listeners if you're enjoying the new Heights show on education and want to support or donate to our organization please visit www.newheightseducation.org 
And while you're there, check out our online store. Welcome back to the New Heights Show on Education. My name is Barbara Bullen and I'm the radio host for this show. This show is pre-recorded and focuses on the history of civil rights. A recap of the first segment of the show on Frederick Douglass will continue. Chapter 10, Life in Baltimore. Once in Baltimore with hard brick pavements under my feet, which almost raised blisters by their very heat, for it was in the height of summer, walled in on all sides by towering brick buildings, with troops of hostile boys ready to pounce upon me at every street corner, with new and strange objects glaring upon me at every step, and with startling sounds reaching my ears from all directions. I for a time thought that, after all, the home plantation was a more desirable place of residence than my home on Alicate Aliciana Street in Baltimore. My country eyes and ears were confused and bewildered here, for the boys were my chief trouble. They chased me and called me Eastern Shoreman, till really I almost wished myself back on the Eastern Shore. I had to undergo a sort of moral acclimation, and when that was over I did much better. My new mistress happily proved to be all she seemed to be, when, with her husband, she met me at the door, with the most beaming, benign countenance. She was, naturally, of an excellent disposition, kind, gentle, and cheerful. The, the supercilious contempt for the rights and feelings of the slave, and the petulance and bad humor which generally characterized slaveholding ladies, were all quite absent from kind Miss Sophia's manner and bearing towards me. She had, in truth, never been a slaveholder, but had a thing quite unusual in the South, depended almost entirely upon her own industry for a living. To this fact, the dear lady no doubt owed the excellent preservation of her natural goodness of heart, for slavery can change a saint into a sinner and an angel into a demon. I hardly knew how to behave towards Miss Sophia, as I used to call Mrs. Hugh old, I had been treated as a pig on the plantation. I was treated as a child now. I could not even approach her as I had formerly approached Mrs. Thomas Ald. How could I hang down my head and speak with bated breath when there was no pride to scorn me, no coldness to repel me, and no hatred to inspire me with fear? I therefore soon learned to regard her as something more akin to a mother than a slaveholding mistress. The crouching civility of a slave, usually so acceptable a quality to the haughty slaveholder, was not understood nor desired by this gentlewoman. So far from deeming it impudent in a slave to look her straight in the face, as some slaveholding ladies do, she seemed ever to say, Look up, child. Don't be afraid. See, I am full of kindness and goodwill towards you. The hands belonging to Colonel Lloyd's sloop esteemed it a great privilege to be the bearer, bearers of parcels or messages to my new mistress, for whenever they came they were sure of a most kind and pleasant reception. 
if little Thomas was her son and her most dearly beloved child, she, for a time, at least made me something like his half-brother in her affections. If dear Tommy was exalted to a place on his mother's knee, Fetty was honoured by a place at his mother's side. Nor did he lack the caressing strokes of her gentle hand to convince him that, though motherless, he was not friendless. Mrs. Auld was not only a kind-hearted woman, but she was remarkably pious. Frequent in her attendance of public worship, much given to reading the Bible and to chanting hymns of praise when alone, Mr. Hugh Auld was altogether a different character. He cared very little about religion, knew more of the world, and was more of the world than his wife. He set out, doubtless, to be, as the world goes, a respectable man, and to get on by becoming a successful shipbuilder in that city of shipbuilding. This was his ambition, and it fully occupied him. I was, of course, of very little consequence to him compared with what I had, compared with what I was to good Mrs. Auld, and when he smiled upon me, as he sometimes did, the smile was borrowed from his lovely wife, and like all borrowed light, was transient, and vanished with the source whence it was derived. While I must characterize Master Hugh as being a very sour man, and a forbidding appearance, it is due to him to acknowledge that he was never very cruel to me, according to the notion of cruelty in Maryland. The first year or two which I spent in his house, he left me almost exclusively to the management of his wife. She was my lawgiver. In hands so tender as hers, in the absence of the cruelties of the plantation, I became both physically and mentally much more sensitive to good and ill treatment, and perhaps suffered more from a frown from her mistress than I formerly did from a cuff at the hands of Aunt Katie. Instead of the cold, damp floor of my old master's kitchen, I found myself on carpets for the corn bag in winter, and now had a good straw bed, well furnished with covers, for the coarse cornmeal in the morning, and now had good bread and mush occasionally for my poor toe-lean shirt, reaching to my knees. I had good clean clothes. I was really well off. My employment was to run errands and to take care of Tommy, to prevent his getting in the way of carriages and to keep him out of harm's way generally. Tommy and I and his mother got on swimmingly together for a time, I say for a time, because the fatal poison of irresponsible power and the natural influence of slavery customs were not long in making a suitable impression on the gentle and loving disposition of my excellent mistress. At first, Mrs. Auld evidently regarded me simply as a child, like any other child. She had not come to regard me as property. This latter thought was a thing of conventional growth. The first was natural and spontaneous. A noble nature like hers could not instantly be wholly perverted, and it took several years to change the natural sweetness of her temper into fretful bitterness. In her worst estate, however, there were, during the first seven years I lived with her, occasionally returns of her former kindly disposition. The frequent hearing of my mistress read the Bible, for she often read aloud when her husband was absent, soon awakened my curiosity in respect to this mystery of reading and roused in me the desire to learn. Having no fear of my kind mistress before my eyes, she had then given me no reason to fear. I frankly asked her to teach me to read. 
and without hesitation the dear woman began the task and very soon by her assistance i was master of the alphabet and could spell words of three or four letters my mistress seemed almost as proud of my progress as if I had been her own child. Supposing that her husband would be as well pleased, she made no secret of what she was doing for me. Indeed, she exultingly told him of the absence of her pupil, of her intention to, per to persevere in teaching me, and of the duty which she felt it to teach me, at least to read the Bible. Here arose the first cloud over my Baltimore prospects, the precursor of drenching rains and chilling blasts. Chapter 11 A Change Came O'er the Spirit of My Dream I lived in the family of Master Hugh at Baltimore seven years, during which time, as the almanac makers say of the weather, my condition was variable. The most interesting feature of my history here was my learning to read and write under somewhat marked disadvantages. In attaining this knowledge, I was compelled to resort to indirections by no means congenial to my nature, and which were really humiliating, humiliating to me. My mistress, who, as a reader has already seen, had begun to teach me, was suddenly checked in her benevolent design by the strong advice of her husband. In faithful compliance with this advice, the good lady had not only ceased to instruct me herself, but had set her face as a flint against my learning to read by any means. It is due, however, to my mistress to say that she did not adopt this course in all its stringency at the first. She either thought it unnecessary, or she lacked the depravity indispensable to shutting me up in mental darkness. It was, at least, necessary for her to have some training and some hardening in the exercise of the slaveholder's prerogative to make her equal to make her equal to forgetting my human nature and character and to treating me as a thing destitute of a moral or an intellectual nature. Mrs. Old, my mistress, was, as I have said, a most kind and tender-hearted woman, and in the humanity of her heart and the simplicity of her mind, she set out when I first went to live with her to treat me as she supposed one human being ought to treat another. It is easy to see that, in entering upon the duties of a slaveholder, some little experience is needed. Nature has done almost nothing to prepare men and women to be either slaves or slaveholders. Nothing but rigid training, long persisted in, can perfect the character of the one or the other. One cannot easily forget to love freedom and it is as hard to cease to respect that natural love in our fellow creatures. On entering upon the career of a slaveholding mistress, Mrs. Auld was singularly deficient. Nature, which fits nobody for such an office, had done less for her than any lady I had known. It was no easy matter to induce her to think and to feel that the curly-headed boy, who stood by her side and even leaned on her lap, who was loved by little Tommy, and who loved little Tommy, in turn, sustained to her only the relation of a chattel. I was more than that, and she felt me to be more than that. I could talk and sing, I could laugh and weep, I could reason and remember, I could love and hate. I was human, and she, dear lady, knew and felt me to be so. 
How could she then treat me as a brute, without a mighty struggle with all the noble powers of her own soul? That struggle came, and the will and power of the husband was victorious. Her noble soul was overthrown, but he that overthrew it did not himself escape the consequences. He, not less than the other parties, was injured in his domestic peace by the fall. When I went into their family, it was the abode of happiness and contentment. The mistress of the house was a model of affection and tenderness. Her fervent piety and watchful uprightness made it impossible to see her without thinking and feeling. That woman is a Christian. There was no sorrow, no suffering for which she had not a tear, and there was no innocent joy for which she did not smile. She had bread for the hungry, clothes for the naked, and comfort for every mourner that came within her reach. Slavery soon proved its ability to divest her of these excellent qualities and her home of its early happiness. Conscience cannot stand much violence. Once thoroughly broken down, who is he that can repair the damage? It may be broken towards a slave on Sunday and towards a master on Monday. It cannot endure such shocks. It must stand entire or it does not stand at all. If my condition waxed bad, that of the family waxed not better. The first step in the wrong direction was the violence done to nature and to conscience. In arresting the benevolence that would have enlightened my young mind, in ceasing to instruct me, she must begin to justify herself to herself. And once consenting to take sides in such a debate, to she was riveted to her position. One needs very knowledge. One needs very little knowledge of moral philosophy to see where my mistress now landed. She finally became even more violent in her opposition to my learning to read than was her husband himself. She was not satisfied with simply doing as well as her husband had commanded her, but seemed resolved to better his instruction. Nothing appeared to make my poor mistress, after her turning towards the downward path, more angry than seeing me seated in some nook or corner, quietly reading a book or a newspaper. I have had her rush at me with the utmost fury and snatch from my hand such a newspaper or book with something of the wrath and consternation which a traitor might be supposed to feel on being discovered in a plot by some dangerous spy. This comes to the conclusion of the show. Next week's show will continue on the autobiography of Frederick Douglass, My Bondage and My Freedom. Thank you for listening. You can reach me by email, barbarab at newheightseducation.org. Be sure to join me every Sunday at radio.newheightseducation.org, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, as I discuss the history of civil rights. Also join Pamela Clark's pre-recorded shows, which airs Wednesday by 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Civil rights is our right. Have a great week. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to rate us and follow us on your podcast player. Check out our show page, radio.newheightseducation.org, for monthly announcements and other happenings.
Imagine your new bathroom. A sparkling new tub, a modern shower conversion, a seamless new wall, all done in as little as a day. Introducing Bathfitter. Join over 2 million customers delighted with our one-of-a-kind remodeling process. No demolition, no mess. Guaranteed for life. Installed in as little as a day. Book a free in-home consultation at bathfitterpodcasts.com and get our best offer of the year right now. Bathfitter, 35 years of better bath remodels. 